Well, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're finishing our series on 1 Timothy this morning, and we're looking at the end of chapter 6 uh, from verses 11 down to verse 21. Uh, you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 6, the ending of 1 Timothy chapter 6, on pages 993 over into 994 of the Pew Bibles, page 993 into 994. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're beginning at verse 11, and we're reading the rest of the 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 11, starting on page 993. This is God's word to us this morning. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only, he who is the only blessed and sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're finishing our series on this letter this morning. And you'll find our passage this morning on pages 993 over into 994 of the Pew Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Final words carry great weight. The final words we speak to someone often stick out in our minds and never leave us. Final words to a child as they move from primary school to secondary school. Final words to a young person as they go from secondary school to university or work. Final words to a couple who are about to get married and start a new family unit together. F -f Final words to a loved one who is about to depart this scene of time and move into eternity. Final words carry great weight. The final words we speak to someone often stick out in our minds and never leave us. When final words come from one of the great apostles of the church, we should listen carefully to them. 1 Timothy is not Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy is, but there's a sense that as Paul closes 1 Timothy, well, what he says to this young pastor carries significant weight and meaning. 
For a few moments this morning, we're going to look at these weighty words and see how they connect with us as we live for Jesus in this world. And let me say a word or two about what we've seen in this series. What we've noted throughout our time in this letter is that 1 Timothy is about how we behave as the church. The, the center of the letter provides us with the theme of the letter. In 3, 14 and 15, Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. God is a good heavenly father, has given us a book about how we are to live as Christians. As believers in the Lord Jesus, we know that our behavior should be different to that of the world around us, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And 1 Timothy is a letter that reminds us that being a Christian leads to practical, visible change in the lives of those who know and love the Lord. As we've said, this is our final morning in this helpful little letter. I hope that you find our studies in it to be helpful and that you've been encouraged and challenged in your walk with God. This morning, as we look at this final section of the letter, we're going to highlight five verbs that spring out of the passage. Uh, my background, uh, as you'll know, is essentially in words. Uh, Mum was an English teacher. I studied journalism at university. Uh, without hauling you back into the classroom, kicking and screaming, verbs are very useful as we think about living for Jesus. A verb is a, is, is a word that is used to describe an action, or to put it another way, a verb is a doing word. For example, if I was to say the rabbit was jumping in the field, the verb in that sentence would be the word jumping. But verbs are very useful as we think about living for Jesus because our walk with the Lord should never be static or stationary. In fact, we're either going forwards or backwards. As we live for Jesus, we need to remember our verbs are our doing words. There are five verbs that jump out of this passage. We're going to take each one in turn and we'll move through them relatively quickly. What we will see this morning is that this entire passage is rich and has so much depth. We could nearly do a mini-series on these verses alone. One sermon probably doesn't do this whole passage justice. But as we think about our five, five verbs, we're going to pose a question. And the question is, as we live for Jesus, what are we to do? How are we to live? The first thing we see in this passage is that we are to flee. That's our first verb. We are to flee. Look at what Paul says at the beginning of verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Last week we saw Paul take apart the false teachers who were pumping spiritual sewage into the church family in Ephesus. Now he turns his attention abruptly to Timothy. He doesn't address Timothy by name at this point, but instead gives him the title Man of God. And this is a really significant title. It was a title that would have motivated Timothy and also those reading the letter. Remember, letters like this would have been read aloud within churches and houses and passed around by believers in the early church. The title Man of God was the title given to the great leaders of Israel. It was applied to Moses and Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha, and four or five others. The only other usage of this phrase in the New Testament comes in 2 Timothy 3.17, and the man of God is described as any mature Christian who is equipped for every good work. By calling him a man of God, Timothy was attempting, Paul was attempting to get Timothy's attention, and having done so, he writes, flee these things. Flee what? What, what is Timothy to flee from? Well, the context of the passage tells us that Timothy is to flee from false teaching. 
the false teaching that has been described in verses 3 to 10. Timothy is to flee controversy and quarrels. He is to flee from the notion that godliness and Christian ministry can be used as a mean for material and financial gain. Flight as as a spiritual strategy was crucial to Paul's view of ministry. Paul repeats this call to flight in 2 Timothy 2.22. There he tells Timothy to flee youthful passions. But flight as as a spiritual strategy is also ingrained throughout the Bible. It was this wisdom that saved Joseph from Potiphar's wife. Remember how he left his cloak in her grasping hand and fled from the house in Genesis 39 verse 12. Any attempt to stay and reason with Potiphar's wife would have been too much for Joseph. Likewise, Timothy is to flee controversy and quarrels about words. He is to flee from those who are spreading what today is called the prosperity gospel. And in the same way, if we desire to be men and women of God, there are times we must show our back to evil and run as fast as our legs will take us in the other direction. There are sins, there are influences that we need to run from. Too often we play with them instead Too often we play with things that will end up killing us. There are always things we need to flee from and there are always things that we need to to run to. And that leads us nicely onto our second verb. As we live for Jesus, what are we to do? How are we to live? We are to flee and we are to pursue. Look at the rest of verse 11. Paul says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. There are six qualities listed here and they come as three pairs. They speak of the balanced character of a Christian person. These are things that we should be looking to cultivate in our own lives. They're they're, they're very similar to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. The first pair is godliness and righteousness. And these words cover the horizontal and vertical dimensions of the Christian life. Horizontally, there must be righteousness as we deal with other people. Vertically, we are to live a godly life before God. The second pair is faith and love. These two are paired together often in the scriptures. The emphasis is on faithfulness and and love for others. And the third pair is steadfastness and gentleness. And these are particularly good qualities. Steadfastness is is a never give up determination in the face of opposition to the gospel. Gentleness is a patient control in dealing with other people. You can see the balance Paul speaks of, righteousness and godliness, faith and love, steadfastness and gentleness. What stands out most of all though is the contrast Paul places before us. We on the one hand are to flee sin and we are on the other hand to pursue good. The difficulty is that we often get those things the wrong way around. We flee from from what we know is good and we pursue what we know will kill us. The the wisdom of all of this is, is so simple yet we can't overlook it. We are to flee from sin and we are to pursue what is good. One of the pictures the Bible uses of our hearts is that of a garden. Uh, This year we are attempting to grow strawberries. We didn't try carrots and parsnips again this year, even after last year's bumper crop, and I say that slightly sarcastically. We've got a, we've got a planter with our strawberries in it, and surprisingly, they're, they're growing quite well, but they need daily attention. They need to be watered, they need to be pruned, they need to be looked after. 
And it's much the same with our hearts. The Bible is very clear in that we will not just drift into a righteous and godly life. We won't waken up someday as the complete Christian. These qualities that Paul calls for in verse 11 come through a deliberate, steady obedience to the Lord and his word. Our hearts need to be watered, pruned, and looked after. So how are we doing when it comes to fleeing from sin and pursuing good? Have we got those things the wrong way around? What are we prioritizing this summer? A flight away to somewhere sunnier? Nothing wrong with that. But are we planning for a flight from sin? Are we planning to pursue righteousness? As we live for Jesus, what are we to do? How are we to live? We are to flee, we are to pursue, and then we're to fight. That's our third verb. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Paul wants Timothy to flee, pursue, and to fight. Notice that this is not just any fight. It's a fight for the faith from which some have wandered. What Paul is saying here is that Timothy is to fight for the essential apostolic faith that is described in 1 Timothy as the truth, the teaching, the doctrine, or as the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put simply, and this has been a repeated theme in 1 Timothy, put simply, Paul says, doctrine matters. What you believe matters. The, the, the language in verse 12 is intense, fight the good fight, suggests voluntary athletic agony, the, the kind that takes place in a grueling race or a boxing match. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I've signed up to run a half marathon in September. I still haven't started training. I'm going to start over the next week or so, and I know that it's going to be intense. But for those of you who have, who have run at any kind of level for, for fun or, or competitively, you will understand what Paul is saying here. He is talking about running until you think you can't run anymore, but you keep going until your lungs burn and your feet feel like lead. Those of you who put the gloves on know what it's like to give and receive jabs and punches. Significantly, Paul did this himself. In his final ever letter, 2 Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. This is a call to Christians of every generation. We are to fight for the faith. We are to fight for the faith, which says that God is our creator, that we have rebelled against him, that Jesus has lived and died and is coming back one day and everything else in between. We looked at our faith in more detail through our series on the Apostles' Creed earlier in this church season. But our generation must contend for the faith. Doctrine is important because it determines the course of our lives. You will live out what you believe. And fighting for the faith can be really hard. The, the, the main area of attack at the moment in terms of faith and, and culture and society is the area of gender. Our world is, is stripping away biblical truths that have been the norm since the creation of the world. Uh, this week there was an alarming story in one of the national newspapers which said that the Church of England, the Church of England has said that there is no official definition of a woman. The Church of England. It's absolute madness. We need to fight the good fight of the faith. We need to remember that doctrine matters. We need to be prepared for the intensity of the fight. Fighting for the truth will require lung-busting endurance races. It will require taking heavy blows. 
It will require fighting against people who say that they are Christians too. Timothy fought the false teachers in Ephesus, people who said they were Christians. But we must fight because doctrine determines the course of our lives. You and I will live out what we believe. Flee, pursue, fight. These are things we'll do as we live for Jesus. Flee, pursue, fight, and grab. That's our fourth verb. Look at the rest of verse 12. As Timothy fights the good fight of faith, Paul instructs him to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy already had eternal life that had been confirmed at his conversion and baptism when he made his good confession. Eternal life is obviously everlasting, but the emphasis here is on its quality. Eternal life is the age to come which is given only by the Lord Jesus. Timothy, like all believers, has eternal life both as a present possession and as a future hope. He has been saved, he is being saved, and he will be saved. That said, Paul tells Timothy, and by extension all of us, to grab eternal life. According to one Bible commentator, the word translated as take hold of means to take hold of something, sometimes with violence. The the, the violence in the word is best illustrated as we think about words used elsewhere in the Bible. After Jesus walked on water, he took hold of Peter as he began to sink. When Paul was arrested in Acts 21, he was seized and dragged from the temple. And this is the idea. Timothy already had eternal life, but he's instructed to grab it for for all it's worth. One of the most popular scenes used by directors in action films is when someone in the film is hanging off a high building or a bridge or a mountain. So think of James Bond scaling a crane. Think of Spider-Man hanging on a tar, dangling on a tar. Think of Mufasa in The Lion King clinging to the cliff and Scar digging in his claws. In the same way that we see people scaling and hanging and clinging onto all sorts of things in films, so we are to grab hold of and to take hold of eternal life. Grab is a doing word. Eternal life, knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing the peace of Christ, showing the fruits of the Spirit, serving the Lord joyfully. These are the things that we must grab onto until we arrive in heaven. As we live for Jesus, what are we to do? How are we to live? We're to flee, pursue, fight, grab, and then look. Flee, pursue, fight, grab, and look. We've actually only covered two verses so far, verses 11 and 12. We're going to cover verses 13 to 21 in this final point. I did say this passage was rich. You'd find it helpful to study it and unpack it yourself this afternoon. What does Paul say to Timothy in verses 13 to 21, though? Very simply, he says this. He says, look to God and away from riches. Look to God and away from riches. In verses 13 to 16, there's a weighty formal charge given to Timothy regarding his ministry. Paul charges him in the name of the Father and of the Son to discharge the duty, his duties as a Christian, first of all, but also secondly, as a pastor. Verses 13 to 16 can be summarized in this way. Timothy's ministry is before God, and when Jesus returns, he will give an account for all that he has done, for all the sermons he has preached, for all the funerals he has taken, for all the visits he has done, etc., etc., etc. As well as that, 
Paul gives an awe-inspiring description of who God is. God is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Timothy's ministry is under God. Our lives are under the watchful eyes of, of this God. And by implication, we should be looking to this God. Those who trust in the God of eternity can know peace, rest, and comfort in the busyness of life. And in spite of impending death, God keeps us in safety and in joy forever. Standing before the Lord can be a powerful motivator. It is both a joyful yet somber thought that we will one day stand before God and give an account of our lives. Joyful because because we will see our Savior, but somber because we know that our lives aren't perfect. Far from it. But we should be looking to the Lord and not looking to things that won't last. We talked about this last week in a fair amount of detail, but Paul returns to money and riches in verses 17 to 19. He tells Timothy to charge them, in other words, to tell his people, his his congregation, his church family, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Look to God and away from riches. To to, to look to the uncertainty of riches is foolishly short-sighted. Wealth is so uncertain. Jesus warned us of the ravages of moth, rust, and burglars. John Stott memorably says that many people have gone to bed rich and woken up poor, both materially and spiritually speaking. Materially, in that one day they're rich, but because of economic circumstances outside of their control, the next they're poor. Spiritually, in that one day they're alive and and wealthy, the next they've been plunged into eternity, only to be found as a spiritual pauper. Many people have gone to bed rich, and woken up poor. We're to flee from sin. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to fight the good fight. We're to grab eternal life. And we're to look to God and away from riches. Sometimes you read the end of New Testament letters and you think, well, there's not much there. It's all a little bit distant. I don't think you can say that about this ending. Final words carry great weight. And these verses should weigh heavy on our hearts and make us think about how we're living for the Lord. Our lives in this world are lived out under the watchful gaze of the sovereign King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What we believe matters and how we live matters. How we behave as the household of God will be judged in eternity. That's 1 Timothy nearly finished. We need to mention the last two verses. Paul says, O Timothy... Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Paul circles back to how he began this letter. And notice how personal he makes his final appeal. O Timothy, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He mentions the false teachers one final time and tells his young colleague to ignore all of their nonsense. And then he says, grace be with you. It's true that final words carry great weight, but it's also true that first words carry great weight as well. Paul starts First Timothy by mentioning the grace, mercy, and peace available from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he finishes by saying, may that same grace 
be with you. What Paul desires, Timothy, and all subsequent readers of this letter to have, is an experience of the transforming and sustaining grace of God. Transforming in that when we first come to believe, we are changed into new creations. Sustaining in that we return to the same source that saved us in the first place. An experience of the transforming and sustaining grace of God. Have you had that transforming experience? Has your heart been changed? Have you been rescued by the Lord? Have you believed in him? And do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you having that sustaining experience? Do you know his help as you flee from sin? Can you see his grace at work as you pursue, fight, and grab? And are you looking to him for all that you need in this life? An experience of the transforming and sustaining grace of God. That, that's what we want here and now. But it's also what we long for as we think about building a new meeting house as well. It's perhaps the main reason that we want to build a new church. So that more people will experience that transforming and sustaining grace so freely given by the Lord. Final thought, then we're done. There's a sense in which we can put our own names into this personal ending. Oh, Timothy, Paul says. It's as though he's saying, oh, Stephen. Oh, put your own name in there. Oh, Stephen, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Keep fleeing, keep pursuing, keep fighting, keep grabbing, and keep looking to the God who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Final words carry great weight, and we would all do well, those of us who are Christians and those of us who aren't, we would all do well to take these final personal words to heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is a source of light and life. And we thank you for the verbs that we have highlighted from this passage today. And we pray that this summer, we would be marked by doing some of the things that we've thought about. We pray that you would help us to flee from sin. We pray that you would help us to pursue righteousness. We pray that we would fight for the faith that we would grab eternal life and that perhaps most of all, we would be looking to you, trusting in you, relying on you and depending on you in all that we do and say. Father, we pray that we would continue to know your transforming and sustaining grace. For those of us who know and love you, give us sustaining grace over the summer. And for those who don't yet know you, we pray that you would come in transforming grace even today so that they might come to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord for the first time. Father, we thank you for these final weighty words from Paul to Timothy, but also to us. We pray that we take them to heart and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.